Welcome to Ireland's Social Impact Podcast. Social impact refers to the effects on society resulting from actions, policies or projects led by individuals, government bodies or organisations. In this podcast, I will chat to guests that have created a positive social impact in Ireland. My name is Eilish, I am your host and marketing manager at 2 into 3, where we focus on transformative social impact. Today I'm joined by PhD researcher and funding expert Neve Carruthers, who is currently undertaking a PhD at the Technological University Dublin, where she's focusing on Ireland's charitable giving culture. Neve has recently researched and authored the Economics of Faith report. I'm also joined by 2 into 3 CEO Dennis O'Connor, who has 21 years experience in the nonprofit sector. Today we're going to discuss the landscape of religious giving in Ireland. We'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode and the Economics of Faith report, Quilter Cheviot. Quilter Cheviot are a leading investment management company who specialise in helping charities and private clients with their investments. So you're very welcome to the podcast today, Neve and Dennis. We might provide a bit of context before we delve into the insights on the religious funding landscape in Ireland. So Neve, over the last few months, you've researched and authored this Economics of Faith report. First of all, can you explain to us in layman terms and what is faith economy? Yeah, I'll do my best. So I think that uh, a term that came to mind as I was doing this research uh, was faith economy in the sense that the economy is more than neuroscience. Uh, it's more than funding. It's uh, a web or a tapestry, if you will, of, of systems and and policies and practices. Um, So it's about all those pieces that are, I think, cultural and social and political that go into making an economy. So when you look at something as complex as faith, and we'll get into that, I felt that faith economy or faith economics is, is taking a step back from just the funding, which is a really crucial part of it, and looking at the bigger picture of faith in today's world. From that then, can you tell us a bit more about why you decided to delve into the religious given in Ireland specifically? Yeah, I mean, Dennis and I have been working together on uh, Giving Ireland research, which I know we'll get into for five years now. So in that time, we've come back again and again to the question of religion's role in the nonprofit sector, specifically in Ireland today. So we noticed that over several years, the findings were showing that religion was receiving a really sizable chunk of the total income by nonprofits and the fundraising income in Ireland. So particularly last year's report, which is looking at 2020, that's when the pandemic started. So religion remained well ahead of the pack. And I'll share more on that later. But this was a little surprising, at least to me, for a number of reasons. Um, but a bigger question mark that that I had, uh, both Dennis and I could see anecdotally and in the findings that religious organizations in Ireland are influencing broader funding trends. So my questions were, can we actually try to quantify religious influence on Ireland's nonprofits today? And in doing that, what can we learn about religion's role in shaping Ireland's culture of giving? And also it's, it's systems that allow for more giving. Um, so again, that goes into the systems and the frameworks. And I know you mentioned there, Neve, that this Economics of Faith report was born out of last year's Given Ireland report, which you also research and author. Um, Dennis, as the co-founder of Given Ireland, could you... Give us a definition of what Given Ireland is and why it was created and a bit of context around that. 
Giving Ireland is measuring in a given year how much is given or donated or raised philanthropically in Ireland. And it's interesting to look at that because we know that back from the time of Catholic emancipation, that a lot of Ireland's civil society was shaped by philanthropy. Um, the recent uh, Marriage Equality Act was equally shaped by philanthropy. So we know that. So it is interesting to look, well, one, how much is being raised? Who is receiving it in terms of the types of organizations? And how that compares to other countries in the same year. So that's why we do an annual report on giving. Okay. So thanks for that, Dennis. Um, so now we have a better understanding of why this research is being carried out. Let's get into the actual insights of the Economics of Faith report. So I know that, Neve, you have a lot of interesting themes that came out of this year's report, if you want to discuss a bit more about, about those. Yeah, I mean, where to start? I know it's a, I think you could go on for days about any topic relating, at least for me, relating to the nonprofit sector. But with religion, there are so many questions I had going in, and I actually think I have more questions coming out. But the things that really stuck out to me uh, were in particular the geography of faith-based giving in Ireland, the, the demography, if you will, so the composition of that sector. What did the organizations look like? Who were they? And also what faiths were present. So those were some of the key headings that I organized the research under. So where I started was with, well, what do we know already? And so we've been doing this report, as I said, for a number of years. It's been going on well before I started, but even over the last few years. So I've been doing this report uh, measuring back to 2016. So I started by trying to look at the trends and saying, well, what changes are we observing? Um, and so what we did was we tried to estimate how big is the religious subset of nonprofits? What kind of organizations are they? Where are they, as I said? And so the first finding was that most religious organizations are not necessarily churches or places of worship. They're actually religious associations. So what that means, this tells me right away that some of the more traditional structures of how we imagine a religious organization are loosening. They are really ingrained in other parts of our lives. So a religious association might be a, a youth organization that's based in the Catholic Church. So there's a whole lot of, there's a whole spectrum of what a faith-based organization can look like, first of all. We also knew what funding had looked like, as I said, over the years. So we tried to see what fluctuations were visible. So going back to that, if we're talking about income, we're seeing a threefold income um, increase in total income between 2019 and 2020. So just to repeat that, between the years of 2019 and 2020, total income for the religious nonprofits in Ireland increased threefold. That's completely opposite of what you might expect uh, if you hadn't seen any kind of data like that before. So I think Dennis can speak really well to why that might be happening. But we're seeing, for one thing, rather than all of a sudden everybody's giving all their money to religion, we're capturing more information. So something that we've been really focused on as part of this research is trying to capture a better picture. Um, so that's one piece that's been key. Yeah, so that, that's extremely interesting. And as you say, you wouldn't expect that because 
all we ever hear is the secularization of Ireland. So do you have any thoughts on that, Dennis, and on the stats that need just provided? So yes, uh, Catholicism uh, appears to be in decline, but Catholic institutions still exist and have income and assets. Uh, but non-Catholic uh, faiths are clearly increasing, uh, driven perhaps significantly by the new Irish, those here and those arriving in. And there's huge evidence in this report about that, and it's quite diverse. So something that we saw in the findings were that there were emerging actors, as you've said, religions that we know about, but maybe we know about them as world religions, to Mm -hmm. put it one way. And so we're seeing that faith in Ireland is doing two things, uh, and both mean that it's changing, and maybe that it's not, as Dennis said, it's not necessarily going away. So that means that where the Catholic Church was at the very center of everything, it meant to be Irish for a long time. Now, maybe it's a little off-center. It's not at the very core necessarily anymore. And the other piece then is that there's more. There's more faiths. And so we saw quite an increase in the number of Hindu organizations and Islamic organizations. But what really struck me was that there was a really large increase in small organizations that were new that were evangelical Christian with African roots. So we see these uh, cropping up in Dublin, in Galway, in uh, Cork and Limerick, so really around urban centers because we can see when you track patterns of migration that people who are coming to Ireland are settling around urban places. And so it makes sense that these smaller congregations would arise. Well, I think the, the really interesting thing is how many of them they are, the, the, the wide range because they go all the way from Taoist and Sikh, mm-hmm. right, um, to agn- and Gnostic, right, yeah. right? So uh, to, let's say, the more well understood, which you'd expect, which is, which is Muslim. Yeah. But the, so, but I think it's sort of, the, it's the breadth, the diversity, and, and the relative scale. So, a lot of these are relatively new. So again, these are new faith-based organizations being established now, accommodating perhaps those who have moved to Ireland or the children of those who have moved to Ireland. And we know from both the current census and the projections for the Irish population that that group is around 20, going to be about 20% of the population. So this isn't going away. In fact, it's only going to increase with time. It is only going to increase with time. As, uh, say, Catholicism continues to decline, um, you know, things, you know, uh, vacuums get filled. And there's a, a lot of evidence out there now that, you know, faith is active, it's just the, the form of religious structure to which it's channeled is actually the thing that's changing the most. And this report, in a way, starts to draw attention to that, starts to, let's say, shed a light on that so so we can understand it. Yeah, because I think you, we often hear those bite-sized little clips of information on the secularization and the less and less people are mm. 
believing in religion, but it, it is so important that we have the conversation around that the income for religion is still there and it's still active. So, I mean, sometimes it comes to the public, let's say, attention when the Church of Scientology established a significant facility out in Fairhouse mm-hmm. because of Tom Cruise and so on and, and, and how well-known that is. But that's like an exact, that's the tip of an iceberg that's actually happening in Ireland right now and across the country, not just in, in Dublin, and in, across a lot of faiths where new entities are being established or entities that are having established are growing in scale and size, are putting down roots, if you like, are building places of worship, are uh, building community centres for those people who follow that faith and they're not Catholic. When you look at the the income piece then, what's interesting is that these organizations that let's just say I know that you know in another country it wouldn't make sense to divide religion into Catholic versus um, other (laughs) and that comes with its own problems but in the context of this specific report the Catholic Church represented only about 35 so a third let's say of the organizations in the sample so you have all these organizations in Ireland a third of that pie they're Catholic The rest are either non-Christian or all the various Protestant faiths. But on the other hand, the Catholic Church was 81% of the income. That's like almost all of it. So that's what that says to me. And then tying back to what Dennis was saying about all this, you know, all this giving still going to the church, that led me to want to know, well, what? How are they giving? What does that actually look like? And so what we are seeing are uh, philanthropic grants. So when I went through all these reports and looked at how all these organizations made their income and how they reported it, there were really significant grants made from, from one religious organization to another. So that to me also says not only yes, people are still giving, but also the money is moving. It's being transferred from one place to another as the activities and the, the, the way that these organizations work changes. Okay. And did you see any correlation between specific religions or religious sectors transferring between each other or was it more sporadic? It wouldn't really be between religions. It would really be like when I say that, I really mean specifically within Catholic organizations. So you've got, let's say, a school. And we can talk for days about, you know, the influence of the Catholic Church on education and on health, on hospitals. But in particular, I saw where there were schools and where there were hospitals, there were significant transfers happening um, of funds that were in the form of a grant or a gift uh, that were made to maybe from the order uh, of, of brothers or sisters to an institution that they had ties to. I'm always interested in how these organizations are funded, naturally. And so when you look at these, let's call them emerging religions that don't have as long a history in Ireland, we know two things to be true uh, when you look at philanthropic research. The first thing is that religion is a key driver of generosity and giving. In every figure you will see, religion drives 
giving because altruism is at the core of almost every world religion. I can't think of one that doesn't preach, you know, love thy neighbor. So that's the first thing is that altruism is really important. Religion and faith drive generosity. But at what scale? Is it giving a few coins in the basket at mass or is it something bigger? Is it giving your wealth away? So that's one question. The next piece is that older organizations make more money. The longer an organization has been established or existed, the more income they're going to have in most cases. So what we're seeing is this split where the Catholic organizations and maybe some of the older mainline Protestant faiths, uh, the Methodist Church in Ireland has a long presence going back. The longer presence means more money. So what we're seeing is that these Catholic organizations, like I said, even though they're fewer organizations, they're, they're packing a punch. How does that look? Something that they're doing is diversifying the way they make money. So if you look at a Catholic organization, you might see that they have investment income from uh, properties. They might have earned income from, as Dennis said, a community or retreat center. They might be earning revenue. The last piece that is really interesting to me is that now they're earning public income. That might not have been the case before. So now, because, as Dennis said, these organizations are no longer just trusts, they're becoming registered nonprofits companies, they are providing specialized, professionalized services and receiving money for it because they're contracted to provide that service. And we really see that in education, health, housing. They are no longer just volunteers trying to help out. Now it's there are professionals who are hired to do something and as such, they're receiving public funding. So that's one big piece. And then on the other side of that, when you look at these new organizations, that are newer maybe to Ireland, maybe they've existed for a long time, but they're new to Ireland, their funding models are more traditional, what you might expect from a faith-based organization. And that is mostly fundraising, first of all. But then when you break that down further and you say, well, what kind of fundraising? It's almost all collections. So the smaller the organization, they're running almost completely on donations, probably coming from the likes of tithing, or which means giving a percentage of your income each week in mass or in services in an envelope in a basket. And so that is and in smaller religious organizations. That's the majority of yeah, where you're seeing the income. Exactly. I think go back to the point that you mentioned there, Neve, about the professionalization of religious organizations. I think that anyone will definitely for myself when hearing about religious organizations, you'd be thinking of just your your local church. You would not be in any way thinking of professional services. So do you want to touch a bit more on how that has changed in recent years and how religious organizations have professionalized? So traditionally, uh, religious organizations were trusts and the income and asset of those trusts was not visible to the public. What is, uh, what is now happening, one, many of those trusts are being converted into companies limited by guarantee, which file accounts where their income and assets are becoming visible. And secondly, 
the advent of the Charity Regulator and the Charities Act, because in the Charities Act, the advancement of faith or religion is a charitable object. So every organization that's a faith-based organization is automatically deemed to be a charity, is therefore required under that act to submit its accounts to the charity regulator. So what we're seeing is a capturing because of change in structure, but also a capturing because of this move to uh, a more transparent, regulated sector. And so the real scale of faith-based organizations is becoming visible, perhaps for the first time. Okay, that's very interesting. So we're seeing a real movement, as you say, from those trusts to actual organizations. It's fascinating. Well, if I would go back, so in, so in Ireland, you know, most hospitals, nearly every school, was first established by a faith-based organization, not by the state. The state neither had the funds nor the capacity to do it. Mm -hmm. Over time, uh, and at the beginning, the, the teachers, the nurses, in those institutions were themselves members of the congregations which uh, founded them or the diocese founded them and over time, they have all largely been now replaced by lay people. But the entities are, in a significant extent, still you know, uh, owned and operated by the same church bodies. But they're providing those services to the state. Mm -hmm. So therefore, they're funded in large by the state. And then that extended in, in, then into... Um, services in, in, in providing care um, uh, for those uh, in need. So that fabric continued because, again, the state at the time wasn't capable, uh, perhaps, or to organize. Now the state is increasingly funding, but we are over time seeing a, a transition. Now, and we're seeing this recently, so we have an example of recently of a of a, a youth organization established at a diocesan level, which has now been completely handed over uh, to an independent trust. So that's the next phase you're going to see where they effectively, largely on, the, say, the Catholic side, where the Catholic Church is going to step out and then and, uh, a new independent, unconnected entity uh, is then running that organization. So we're, we're in that transition, but it's still very significant right now. And it's going to take you know, probably quite a while for that, that if you like, uh, change. But that is happening at the same time as there's a growth of new faith-based organizations, right? Uh, and so I don't, so I think it's going to be a dynamic there. Um, and traditionally, I suppose in the past, the, the non-profit sector, you know, exists because the market won't provide because people won't pay for or can't pay for and the state either can fund or isn't a position to so the non-profit entities go into that middle the third sector uh, traditionally in most countries uh, going back in history those who are faith-based organizations that did that now you have a lot of social entrepreneurial organizations we might see in the future in Ireland that it's a mixture of those two 
where you have the social entrepreneur organizations stepping in to help solve society's issues alongside new faith-based organizations doing similar alongside maybe more traditional faith-based organizations who still have an infrastructure that's delivering. So we're in a period of significant change in that area, I think, in Ireland. Uh, that's going to continue to change for the next while. We're, what final shape is going to take, we don't know, which is why it's good to look at it and you know report on it um, and, and I suppose, shed a light on it so that we can understand it. Yeah. I think that is really important. As, as you know, this is a Ireland Social Impact <laughs> podcast, so it is important that we highlight that by doing these reports and this research that we can gain a better understanding of the funding landscape for religious organisations in Ireland because, as you rightly said, Dennis, there, it's not going away and it will be forever changing. So reporting and, and gaining a better insight into this um, impacts everyone, including the the state, ourselves, communities, and it has an impact on all all society. From my view, you asked earlier about this trend of professionalization and what that means. Mm-hmm. And something that I've asked myself a lot is, well, what does this mean for your classic faith-based organization? Because faith is about belief in what you can't see. And traditionally, in faith-based organizations, the accounting was behind the curtain because that was profane. It was that was what happens behind the scenes so that everybody in the congregation can focus on the altar. And so now that's changing. And that's a really big change. I mean, it all started when the priest turned around in mass and started preaching facing the the congregation and it wasn't in Latin anymore. That was one of the first changes. But now, even in terms of the way that the organizations are run, donors today in Ireland are different. They want to know where the money's going and they want to know at what level. So with the establishment of the charities regulator, which Dennis mentioned, the laws are being solidified and now organizations are expected to be forthcoming with their information. That means that it is driving professionalization and it's driving transparency. So organizations are becoming more structured and more accountable so that they can meet those demands. So that also means that religious organizations have to change the way they're doing things a bit. And I think we're already seeing that. So it's almost like the the donor or the beneficiary is being brought behind that curtain to see things for themselves. So that to me is really interesting. A great mass um, analogy there, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a key piece that's interesting to me. And the the final piece that I think will will it will warrant much more discussion is this idea of, okay, well, if organizations aren't self-identifying as Catholic or as Christian necessarily anymore, to what extent are they maintaining a Christian ethos? And those words Dennis and I have heard in a number of instances, we're seeing and we're hearing Yes, we we are handing over the reins, but the organization should maintain a Christian ethos. And that's being written into the values of these organizations. So I think that we're going to see some really interesting things happening there. I've already touched on the fact that these reports are so important for the nonprofit sector. So 
What, in your words, Neve and Dennis, I'll put this question out to you both, what do these findings and these reports mean for the greater nonprofit sector and social impact in general? Yeah, I think for me, it's about recognizing that the needs of the average Irish person and even who the average Irish person is are evolving and they're evolving a lot. So this person might not have been born in Ireland or they might have a faith that's quite new to Ireland and that influences the way that they see the world and the things that they need out of life, culturally, economically, politically. So we need to make decisions collectively that are grounded in that understanding of who are we talking about. And so this concept of civil society, civil society is the space that exists between the state and the home. And so as Dennis said earlier, the Catholic Church did a lot of the groundwork there, bringing civil society to where it is today. But now it's starting to move in a different direction. Things are changing. And so civil society is about representing the collective voice. So in doing this research, we are trying to contribute to identifying who is who needs to be heard, you know, who's out there and what is going on on the ground. And so by looking at the organizational perspective, we can start to do that. Yeah, that's a great point. And without understanding the mix of or uh, religions in Ireland, we can move towards more diversity and inclusion, especially when it comes to policy. So I think that's a really important point there, Neve. Dennis, do you have anything more to add to that? Well, I suppose I've spoken earlier about how, and you can go back into the development of civil society in Ireland, the role, one, philanthropy has played at many key points in that change, and two, the role, uh, I suppose, the role that in many cases faith-based philanthropy has played. So if you then take that today and you look at this, let's say, diversity of the number of and the diversity of the new organizations or newer organizations and say, well, what is that going to look like over time? Those people that say follow uh, premiership soccer would regularly see the modern soccer player make you know gestures of faith when walking onto the pitch, right? And most of those players would are coming from, let's say that's in, in, in the UK, are not uh, native-born to the UK. So I think what we're again going to see, you're going to see that for the, for the, for the new Irish faith is more visible to them. They will be more open and professing it, more relaxed about it. And that is going to be, and I think you're going to start to see that, whereas uh, for lots of reasons, people... Uh, have been on, let's say, the Catholic or Protestant side have become much shyer about that. So I think we're in a very interesting, and, and it is going to have an impact because it is going to present itself in lots of different ways. Um, back to the point that Neve made about the, the connection between altruism and faith itself, and that's particularly pronounced in certain faiths. You can look back in Ireland to the role the Quakers played were a very small group and how significant their impact was, say, even in housing at the time. So I think it's a very interesting landscape. And so we are going to see changes uh, uh, impact society because of this changing, if you like, uh, economics, changing, let's say, composition 
of religious organizations with capacity to do things. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for the insights, both Neve and Dennis. And I think everything you touched on from income, the emergence of new religions and the new Irish, down to transparency and the professionalization of religious organization. You know, it, it is really important that we're aware of all of this. And there's a lot more to unravel than what we're currently doing now. But we're going to continue the conversation on episode two of the podcast, where we're going to delve a bit more into the history of Ireland and religion and talk a bit more about is Ireland as secularized as we think. I know we touched on a bit of that earlier, but if you are interested in that, head over to our second episode. And if you're interested in reading Neve's Economics of Faith report, I would recommend you do so. Uh, her report is going to be linked in the show notes. So thanks very much, guys, and I'll chat to you next time. Thanks for listening to Ireland's Social Impact Podcasts. To stay up to date with latest episodes, please subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by 2 into 3, where we focus on transformative social impact. For more information, visit our website, 2into3.com.